Hey guys, welcome to the Attractive Christians podcast, where we make Christianity a little less repulsive and a little more attractive and beautiful. I'm Annie, one of the producers. This week, the guys are joined in the studio by special guest Dave Marino, and they talk about the International House of Prayer's recent separation from founder Mike Bickle. And to lighten the mood, Dave and Ethan tell their classic butter story. This episode also comes with a content warning, and while there's nothing graphic, the headliner section does contain mentions of spiritual and sexual abuse, so please use discretion when listening. As always, don't forget to like and rate the podcast, subscribe wherever you like to listen, and we want to hear from you. So leave us a review, comment on our posts and videos, slide into our DMs, or send us a Gmail. Tell us what you guys think about today's topics. Okay. My goal is to make sure that you edit everything I say out of this podcast. <laughs> That's Dave Marino. Oh, you have sound effects too. Oh, That's this is crazy. <laughs> what did I sign up for? This is this is ridiculous. Welcome back to Attractive Christians, you models. We are the Attractive Christians podcast. I'm Ethan Reno. We are Tucker Lamping. And that is David Marino. Our special, whoa, with the silky oh. smooth voice. Okay, Dave. It only happens once in a while. Okay, Dave, breaking out the smooth Every woman voice. listening to this podcast is going to be swooning over <laughs> Dave. She's going to say, most attractive Christian voice I've ever heard. <laughs> Pump the brakes, gentlemen. <laughs> it's the first minute of the podcast. <laughs> Dude, did you know with anti hey, wait, wait, who am you I? shouldn't be pumping them? Pump the brakes, gentlemen. <laughs> wait, you're that one guy. <laughs> I'm not one attractive Christian. <laughs> uh, before we forget, shout out to Annie, our editor, and Mark, our producer. Uh, it's just the three of us boys in the studio tonight, so we don't have Jules or Krista videoing for us tonight. But yeah, we're going to have a good time. We're recording this uh, the Tuesday before New Year's, so this will come out the Friday right before New Year's. Yeah. And that will tie into the meat I have in mind. Oh, new Me- meat. Meat mind. Yeah. New mm, Year's new, meat. New Year's new meat. <laughs> new Year new meat. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, oh, that's awesome. So you got to stay listening to the end for that. Ooh. But yeah, before we get started, since we're in the open doors, or sorry, doors open. Open doors. Section. I have a, a revisit to one of the previous things we talked about a couple weeks ago. So, Dave, I don't know if you're familiar. Are you familiar with the billionaire dude named Brian Johnson who is spending about $2 million a year to reverse his aging process? Whoa. He's trying to make his organs younger. What? Have you How's heard he of doing him? that? Well, he has a team of 30 doctors and scientists and a daily rigorous routine for his food, his diet, his exercise, the different types of lights he puts on his skin all throughout the day. I watched his morning routine today, which mm. was half an hour long. Yeah, you sent it to me. <laughs> it was crazy. Did you That's watch crazy. either of those videos? I've just been busy today. I didn't get the chance to. Well, I just want to revisit what we said because we both kind of had, an, I'd say, a slightly more negative take on his, you know, oh, whatever. Are you coming back with a positive take? Yeah, I just want to give mm. him more of the benefit of the doubt, which is to say that I think The cool thing he said, which made me respect him a lot, is he's like, not everyone can spend $2 million a year on Mm. health stuff to live forever. But he was like, I do. And I'm doing these experiments (laughs) on myself. 
And he's yeah. like, I'm sharing the results so that other people can then kind of see what works for me and try to implement those things for themselves without having to spend $2 million a year. So he's like... He's, Some of the more modern or like uh, e- maybe easier to access things. So he's funding Less an N equals one scientific study in N equals one and meaning the number of um, the number of subjects, the number of study subjects. N equals one study subjects, $2 million funding himself and revealing all of the results to the public. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Because he's like, if if everybody takes what I find and starts doing it themselves mm. at whatever monetary financial level they're at, because everybody could get some supplements at the grocery store, get supplements, eat healthier, yeah. have different habits of waking up, going to sleep, all this stuff, right? Um, you don't need to spend $2 million to find that stuff out. So that kind of made me respect him more because he, hmm. by sharing his results and his findings, he's hoping everybody can live longer, healthier lives. And I was like, that's kind of cool. That's respectable. That's a fair point. You know? Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like that. So it's... shout out Brian Johnson <laughs> for being a real, a real one. <laughs> Brian. If you want to uh, reach out and sponsor this podcast. Yeah. If you want to spend, if you want to spend a couple of those millions over here. You could uh yeah, definitely drop us a couple million each. We'll we'll try the test ourselves. So <laughs> N equals four, you know? If you really <laughs> want to extend your life, I think uh We could change the name of this podcast to Attractive Billionaires. Mainly Brian Johnson. Yeah. Brian Johnson, yeah. please sponsor us. <laughs> please please please. That's please. funny. You're nice. so attractive, Brian, please sponsor we, us. We uh missed our Christmas episode. We didn't really talk about Christmas, did we? That's okay. Yeah, yeah. We did talk about the incarnation, didn't we? Uh, For like two seconds, I think. No, that was one of the meets, I thought. Oh, that was like a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like... Jesus wasn't born in December, so. <laughs> it wasn't like Christian spe- Christmas specific. Christian specific. <laughs> did we talk about why Christmas is celebrated December 25th? No, we did not. Do you guys know why? I could have answered that like a few years ago. I'm actually genuinely curious. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating. Okay, so the background is the Roman pagan holiday to the god Saturn. They had a week. Mm. It was, it was yeah. the biggest celebration in all of Rome. Every every year they had what's called Saturnalia, where they celebrate the god Saturn. Oh, yeah. And it's yeah. a week-long thing that goes from December 18th to December 25th. So the biggest day of the festival would be December 25th. Mm. And this was, you know, for centuries, the biggest pagan holiday. And then after Constantine became emperor in 313 AD, he decided, he's like, why don't we change the biggest Roman celebration? We'll take that and make it about Jesus instead. And so the thing that goes with this, too, is the decorations that we use, the red ribbons around green boughs and Mm -hmm. red and green wreaths are Saturnalia decorations. Oh, yeah. Which is why I'm like, I don't like Christmas decor, Mm. but that's just my own preference. And now I have an excuse to You would rather it be Halloween decor for Christmas. Yeah, Um, year-round skeletons (laughs) and spooks. (laughs) So anyway, Saturnalia. I've heard that before, the like uh, classic Christmas has pagan organs or origins. We organs. all have pagan organs, Tucker. <laughs> um, but That's, we're not talking about the meat yet. <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> organ meat. Hey, that does extend your life. It's please don't talk about your That's pagan actually organ. A good point. Yeah, Dave, Dave's not to on make one. this a nutrition podcast, but <laughs> the more variety you can get, the better. Anyway, That's good. Gonna, yeah, um, you can edit that out. That's we fine. don't want to talk about pagan organs too much on this podcast. <laughs> Back to Saturnalia, uh, but Saturnalia. Anyway, Jesus would have really I been think, born. 
in around like um, June or July, right? I think early spring. Is it earlier spring? The reason we know this is because in Luke it talks about how the shepherds were in the fields right outside Jerusalem. And that's a season. Because most of the year they'd be way out yeah. in the wilderness, but they brought them in to be closer to the city for Passover. So because they have all those sacrificial lambs they've mm-hmm. sacrificed, so they move the flocks closer to the city. And so they'd be easier to access for the people in the city for Passover. Mm -hmm. So Jesus was probably born sometime shortly before Passover. Yeah. It is interesting that we, you know, kind of sacrifice the actual time frame for a specific day. I don't know. I don't have too many issues with it myself. Well, we don't know the exact day he was born anyway. Right. It's it's not like it's not like super detrimental to anything. I think, I, it like fits really, I think it works really well with the church calendar yeah. that they've constructed. True, true. I'm a fan. I, I enjoy it. Yeah, I really do. I think that um, Christianity has naturally always sort of hijacked pagan traditions and pagan holidays yeah. um, and redeemed them in a sense. People don't like that about uh, certain holidays because like you'll always have the people like the atheists coming out of the woodwork around Christmas time that'll be that'll be like, did you know that Christmas was a pagan holiday? You Christians like, yeah, are actually was. pagans. Blah, 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 blah. It's like, okay, but that's not the point at all. <laughs> because that was the majority of the time though, right? Because like yeah. Christianity was so small that, yeah, they would celebrate during the time anyway. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, like the date was a pagan holiday, but that doesn't mean that Christmas has pagan origins. I'm using air quotes well, right so, now. I mean, it, uh, yeah, Dave. Would they like – so as Saturnalia was going on, the biggest day was the 25th at the very, very end. Like mm-hmm. would the Christians kind of like covertly like be celebrating on their own in their homes like during that time? Like, I think it was just Constantine. Constantine was like, let's just take this holiday and make it. A Christian day. Yeah, so Constantine was the first Christian Roman emperor. Up until 313, all like from about Nero in 64 AD to 313 AD with Constantine, the Christians were persecuted. And we can go back into the history of this for just a second. This might be a slight detour. But because of the wars in 164, 163 BC between Jews and Rome, the Jews kind of earned themselves a special what would you say, pardon or favor within mm-hmm. within Rome. So they were allowed, they were the only religious group who had an exception to not worship the emperor. Mm. Makes sense? Mm-hmm. So they were the only ones exempt from going in and offering their annual ritual pinch of incense to the emperor for the cult of emperor worship. Okay? Yeah. So Jews are allowed to not worship the emperor. It took about 30 years after Jesus died and rose again for Rome to realize, hey, wait, these Christians actually aren't Jews, so they need to be worshiping the emperor. So <laughs> so they need to be worshiping the emperor, and that means that they are not exempt from doing their annual emperor worship. Mm. So that's when, they st- that's when Nero started persecuting Christians, mm. when they realized that they're not actually Jews anymore. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know exactly at what point Christians began celebrating Jesus and his birth and, and all that stuff. I do know that after Rome became more of a quote-unquote Christian empire was when they switched the date and they said, hey, the biggest celebration of the year should be about Jesus, not about Saturn. And the church started constructing like more of a liturgical calendar of sorts. And that kind of developed over hundreds of years through the Middle Ages. It just constantly kind of got added to. Yeah. It kind of makes me wonder what that transition looked like. 
Mm. Like as they were transitioning over, like how do you, right? Like as a populist, <laughs> like as an empire, it's like okay, like I know we've been celebrating the Saturn guy for a while and like a big celebration for this guy, but we're gonna shift it around for this other guy that you guys don't even know. Yeah, maybe like that may not be a suitable conversation topic as we may not know, but that just that just blows my mind of like how do you transition that as an empire to do that? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this isn't do you exactly have that? the same. But maybe like, you know, Christmas used to be about Jesus and now it's about Santa Claus. So it's almost like <laughs> it's we getting hijacked back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait the a minute. war for Christmas begins. Commercialism is hijacking Jesus's Take celebration. Back the holy days. But yeah, I mean, along Dave's point, Siege it would be like if, holy days. if we said, hey, all of a sudden, boom, this year Christmas isn't about Jesus. It's about Will Ferrell, I don't know, <laughs> like some random person. You're like, okay, wait, why are we suddenly shifting this national holiday? Yeah. That would be interesting. It would be weird. I think everybody would have questions. Yeah. In other news, we've just now set the record for the longest doors open section yet. So. Freak. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I literally, for those that cannot see me, I literally looked over to see if the door was open. That's where I'm at right now. Hi, new guest. Sleep deprived. Those of you in the holidays, maybe a little sleep deprived That's from your awesome. celebrations and stuff. But wow, this is going to be great. That's yeah. cool. Sleep to, um, Sleepy Dave is one of my favorite Daves. <laughs> oh, so those, for those who don't know, uh, Dave is my best friend. And we've known each other since we were like two. So we go way, way back. Super way back. Mm, yeah, we've back. traveled the world together. Literally. We've yeah. We've traveled the country together. Yeah, you guys have other had some crazy stories. We do. We'll have to share some of your crazy stories on here sometime. That could be the meat today. That'll be some good stuff. Ooh. Dave, next time you're on, let's just do our, our whole doors open to drop your crazy stories. Okay, I might I, now that will you, you, will you I swap might do out a, meat? I might do a live meat swap. A meat swap. <laughs> 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 Meat swap live on air. <laughs> just, we're a just meat making this up. Plant. We're just building the plane as we fly. <laughs> this okay. is a black market liver. Anyway, let's do a quick Rex, quick um, headliners, and then get to our massive meat section. <laughs> what? What are you guys laughing at? Okay, anyway, let's move on to Rex. Run, 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 Rex. I can go first because I've got one. Yeah. yeah. I, I forgot to tell Dave to prepare a wreck. So if oh. I'm the only one here without a laptop. I just have my water bottle. My laptop is literally just the recording of the audio. My laptop screen usually goes black. <laughs> I but, just don't use it. So the wreck is just open for the This aesthetic. is podcast unveiled behind the scenes. <laughs> so everything you hear is off my head. Well, Nothing I use is... it to pull stuff up, but like sometimes it just blacks out and I'm like, oh, okay, we'll just talk. <laughs> well, okay. So the wreck section is anything that we're watching, listening to, reading. What's the fourth category? Anything. I mean, just, Any you recommendation. could be doing, it could be an activity. You could yeah. have discovered a new board game that you loved. Ooh. or Oh, yeah, that's what Robbie um, did. Yeah, it's, it's cool. Okay, so my rack is a book. It's a book called The Cure by John Lynch. Hmm. And it's one of the dudes who put together the RTS weekend Dave and I did. And so he – it's just like – it's not a huge book. It's maybe just over 100 pages. And he's got some bomb lines. I'll hmm. actually have to do some meat from it in the future. But he meat is – from book. <laughs> Book meat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And cured meat. So oh. the book is called The Cure. Cured meat. <laughs> so, um, but he just goes, he just dives right to the heart. Mm. And so the first chapter, I'll just give you a synopsis of just the first chapter. He says, 
And it's this like an allegory kind of. And he's like, imagine you go to this fork in the road and you have two rooms you could go into. And one says, pleasing God. And the other one says, trusting God. And you find out that when you try to please God, he has this whole allegory he builds out. He says that when you're trying to please God, you're usually not even doing what he wants. You're just wearing a mask that you think will please God. Mm. And the same applies to other people because when other people are like, oh, I'm just trying to be a good Christian. I'm trying to just, right? I'm mm. trying to just look good. I'm trying to play the part of somebody who pleases God. And then he leaves that room exhausted after a while, goes into the room of trusting God and finds out that it's a room, it's called the room of grace. And you're not allowed to be anything but yourself. And if you try to pretend that you're happy, you try to, if you try to wear a mask in mm. this room, then you're just, you know, you won't be accepted because <laughs> mm. there are no masks allowed. And and God and everyone else can tell when you're wearing a mask. And it's the idea of like, hey, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm fine. I'm great. Everything's good. Mm. And then God shows up to this guy in the parable and says like, so how are you? And he's like, well, my feet hurt from walking so much. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm stressed out about everything going on in life. I have all this baggage. And then everyone else in the room looks at him and says, yeah, welcome to the club. This is where you belong. And it's just like one of those mm -hmm. books about like you putting your mask down, getting to the core of your own heart and your own struggles and all this stuff. And I'm only two chapters in, but it's it's he's got some really good lines. Like one was, imagine if it was better that nothing ever got fixed, but that nothing ever had to be hidden. Mm. That nothing got fixed, but nothing had to be hidden. And as like, you know, as Christians, we're always trying to fix ourselves or sin less and be better at whatever yeah. versus just being like, okay, I'm actually not going to hide anything from anyone. And inadvertently, that also helps with our shame and vulnerability which inadvertently helps us sin less and act out less. And so it's, yeah, it's, this is a really hard-hitting book for the heart. Yeah. It's yeah. good. No, that's awesome. And only two chapters just hit you that hard, too. Yeah. <laughs> I can't I can't go too far at once because I'm just like, ugh. No, that's awesome. So I remember I had the, um, uh, my youth pastor, like, growing up, my mentor, Chad, he would always say, it's probably a common, I don't know, I feel like I've heard it elsewhere, too, but he would always say you can only be loved as well as you're known. Yeah. So, like, it, it goes along the same lines. He could have gotten know. that from the book. One of Maybe. the other good lines he said, he's like, how come nobody told me that when I wear a mask, only my mask mm. can receive love? So if I want yeah. to receive love at my core, I have to take off all my masks. And Interesting. Like, mm. So you sent that to me over text. And when I first got that, like, it, it did hit hard. Like, it was impactful. But we have heard that. I mean, I feel like or I think – very anecdotally, that people know that intuitively, mm -hmm. but we never really kind of bring it to the surface. Mm -hmm. Like we know that when we put forth those barriers or those masks or those facades, however, I mean, starting in however young, middle school, elementary school, whenever you feel your insecurity. And then, of course, like you realize it's like, well, these people don't know the real me yet. Yeah. Or they haven't liked the real me yeah. yet. And so then you have to keep putting that up. And then all of a sudden the facade falls it's like, well, <laughs> mm-hmm. Game is up. Totally. Way. So, and Dave, share a little bit more about your background too, because you're in counseling. So yes. you you deal with a lot of these. <laughs> you're in counseling. <laughs> well, As I mean, should I was many other say, people? <laughs> well, he is a counselor. He is, he is, and well, that's what I was trying to say. Like he is in the profession of counseling of yeah. counsel. Um, <laughs> Dave is counsel. I'll, I will. Um, I will go ahead and take it from here, Tucker. Yeah, go. <laughs> 
I am a school counselor, so I'm a school mental health professional. Uh, mm. I feel like I have to kind of justify my position because school counselors kind of get a bad rap. Huh. We're often classified as guidance counselors, which we have our own offices. And then mm. students that, you know, if they want to be an engineer, they go, what do I need to do to be an engineer? And then we give them all the college recommendations. Mm-hmm. But I am actually in a middle school. So a lot of the work that I do is social emotional work with kids. Mm-hmm. So in my school that I'm at, I would say is the population that I work with has more students that are highly impacted. And what that means is like their family mm. backgrounds are highly impacted. So we live really close to like some homes that are um, government funded. So mm-hmm. people that need like that financial assistance. So yeah, like affordable housing. Stuff exactly. Affordable so. housing, mm-hmm. people that have been financially impacted or culturally impacted. So yeah. they bring all of their kind of traumas into the school. So we have, you know, students that aren't operating on all all cylinders, mm-hmm. which <laughs> fair, few students are yeah. at this point. I mean, when you're young. Like, yeah. Especially um, that plus trauma equals bad time. Exactly. And of course, when you're at the middle school level, naturally, so you put on your facade, you create your persona, you scroll on social media and decide what you want to be. You try to be that. Some students do it better than others. Mm. You get the popular kids that do a little bit better than others, but they still yeah. kind of have their own stuff. They can play the game better. Yes. Or they have the social skills to convince everyone. Right, right. But I do a lot of social emotional work with kids. Yes, I do academic work with kids as well, kind of getting them into study skills and stuff. And then, of course, we have the college and career aspect too. So Mm -hmm. school counseling does three aspects, social, emotional, academic, college and career, while trying to maintain academic excellence with the kids, proper social skills as they develop. And middle yeah. school, as you know, is a pretty tumultuous time. That's crazy, so. dude. Seriously, that's a lot of roles with yeah. one hat. You should have a mug that says "Real Life Superhero." You should get like a one hat that's like four different hats and wear it. <laughs> it <laughs> has know? four bills. <laughs> <laughs> There's one meme that I, I really like. I'm going to try to do a really good job of explaining this. So those that have seen <laughs> Rocket Man or Elton John, you know, have you seen that movie? Yeah, um, no. you okay. haven't seen it. Huh? So he's he's known for dressing very flamboyantly, lots of feathers, lots of color, lots of pink, lots of bedazzle, right? Mm-hmm. There's a scene in the movie where it's him and his agent, and it's just a shot of him and his, and his agent. Elton John is just decked out in all the frillery and very sparkly. His agent is uh, dressed in a suit and tie looking very sharp. So mm-hmm. you have the high school counselors represented in the suit, you know, sharp. They're all business. You have the elementary school counselors who play a lot of games and they do a lot of really fun stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's Elton John. And yeah. then, of course, in the picture right below that, which is the meme, it's uh, Leonidas from 300. <laughs> and he's screaming with his sword. And, of course, it's middle school counselors because it's just so chaotic. Not to say that either or is chaotic. I mean, the school counseling job is just chaotic in general. But, of course, middle school is when a lot of stuff comes to the surface. And as we know, I mean, who really mm-hmm. had – this is this is my this is my lovely uh, informal statistics question. Like, who had a great time in middle school? You know, who was having a great time? Who, who really thought that middle school was the best time of their life? Yeah. Mine is skewed because I moved across the country in seventh grade. So it's tough to say. If Mine's a little bit weird because I was homeschooled during that. <laughs> so what a nerd! Wow, I think, this I think is... yours is more like the general. Am I seriously the only question. one that went to public school here? No, I was in public school. Oh, that's right. You moved across the country, and then mm-hmm. that's when you shifted into public school, right? And for those who are only listening to this audio, Dave looks like King Leonidas as well. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> he's sitting here with his shirt off, <laughs> bouncing his pecs like the boom. boom he's boom, literally boom, got boom. like a Roman sword. 
like honestly, shield. I'm scared that if we say the wrong thing and offend him, he's going to kick me in the hole. To, they're about to transition into tortoise formation. I would throw that the, the mug. phalanx. <laughs> I would throw that mug that says "real life superhero" right back at you, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and he knocked me into a hole. <laughs> this is. Middle school. <laughs> you guys are so nice. <laughs> this is the Nice Christians podcast. The Good Guys podcast. Good Guy Christians podcast. I actually know that guy. The the Leonidas guy? No, no, no. Oh. The, I thought you were referencing this this blog called The Good Guys. Uh, what's it called? Good Guy. It's my friend Chris Wolf. He lives in L.A. Oh. I forget. Will that the, also be part of your Rex? Sure. I've written, I actually wrote a couple blogs for We kind of hijacked your Rex. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, sorry. We're just moving but through the, this blog, but through the this podcast as a And then I, and then I started pace. thinking, oh, Dave, Dave does counselor work, so he must <laughs> see this on a daily basis. Yeah, this anyway. is like a bonus meat section. Bonus meat. In the, not boneless, bonus. <laughs> bonus meat. Okay, Tucker, what's your Rex? For I've been listening to a lot of bluegrass lately. Um, okay, good one. Dave, what's your rec? <laughs> yeah, Dave, what's your rec? <laughs> um, uh, the Mandarin Aqua Fresca from Chipotle. Oh. It just, it kicks, man. It's great. I love oh, it. that drink? It's so sugary. It also has turmeric in it, so it's actually kind of healthy. Turmeric bear. Turmeric bear. Mm. Anti-inflammatory. Oh, okay, yeah. that was the world's quickest wreck. Okay, Tucker, <laughs> bluegrass. It's <laughs> um, so quick. Anyway, so back to me now. Uh, I was listening to Ralph Stanley a little bit. So I actually saw this guy when I was in high school with one of my friends. We went and saw him live, and uh, it was his last tour. He was like 93 years old. Wow. Uh, the dude does like gospel bluegrass, him and his family. He was 93? The whole family. Yeah, dude, the guy was like 93 years old. Was he on he died, Brian like, Johnson's exercise plan? <laughs> no, but he was a he was an old looking dude. But dude, the 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 talent in bluegrass is just phenomenal. So I was listening to a lot of Ralph Stanley recently, and then it reminded me because back in the day I got really into this uh, channel on YouTube, Western AF, where they like would you know kind of highlight a lot of up and coming artists. Okay, um, all musical stuff. Yeah, all music, and it's all like live, so they record it on the spot. Uh, the audio's you know fairly good for what they can do, uh, but <laughs> it's really cool. So that I would say Western AF is like my big rec, where I'd say go check out some of their stuff on YouTube. They put some really cool stuff out there. What like does these AF guys were for? as freak. Um, attractive fiddlers. <laughs> <laughs> Western attractive fiddlers. Um, <laughs> fiddlesticks. Um, they uh, they were like, you know, putting Coulter Wall, if you've heard that name. He was on there like well before he blew up. Oh, yeah. He's, um, he's gotten some traction. A lot maybe. of the guys on there have like blown up since they were first sponsored on that channel oh, okay. or highlighted. Featured, I know they were kind of yeah. up and up. Yeah, featured. But they, they do a good job of like highlighting some really good talent in the western bluegrass country all of it it's like full spectrum nice so western attractive fiddlers western, <laughs> western as fiddlesticks <laughs> western sounds like freak. a great time western <laughs> as freak all right well let's go ahead and move on to some headliners headliners and uh, we are back for headlines. Um, really interesting week. I actually saw this uh, pop up earlier in the week. Have you seen, uh, do you know about International House of Prayer? Oh, yeah. Kansas City. I've been I'm there. sure being YWAM, you know, you, you probably ran across it. I've been to their prayer room several times. Oh, yeah, because the, they they're, they're super famous for their 24-hour prayer room thing. Mm-hmm. 
Dave, I, have you ever heard of these guys? I've heard of them. I haven't been in the prayer room once. So yeah, that's okay. Me either. Dang, I, just, I'm I usually <laughs> I usually I don't have to go to a, a specific place to pray to God. Anyway, Why? so just dropping that <laughs> hot drop, hot drop, real quick. Um, there's a lot of serious stuff going on there recently. If you've kept up with a little bit of it, the accusations there were against, um, accusations against Mike Bickle, yeah. the lead pastor there. Weird, like sexual misconduct allegations. It was interesting though because they went back like they were like thirty years old. The allegations. So, were there any more recent ones, or were they all super? I old? think there were a handful of some that might have been sooner, but the more like in one of the statements I read, it was like one of the more credible ones was from that far back. So, was it like it started thirty years ago and was ongoing for the past thirty years? They haven't really released much on that, and they've kept a lot of it under wraps. They'll drop like some big like news flash about what they're doing or what's going on here and there. So first, the big thing that happened was the allegations came out, and then they all uh, like stood up and talked about how they were handling it, and then that was like really big, and then nothing for a few uh, weeks. The next thing that happened, I'm trying to remember, uh, was they brought in a third-party investigation team. And lastly, so this last week, they just decided to part ways or cut ties with Mike Bickle. Oh. And they decided that it was over inappropriate misconduct or inappropriate behavior. Were they any more specific than that? Or that was, was that- it. That, they wouldn't share anything else. They talked about how it was like at the discretion of the victim's. Um, so a lot of like the details they won't share. So oh. there's there's some gray areas. It's just really interesting for a church of that magnitude to have a situation like this where they're putting stuff out there, but they're not really sharing much. You know, I get the I get the what do you mean? They're like, putting discretion. stuff out there like the media coverage or the church. Itself? The church is putting out like they're making statements. They're making, you know. Uh, announcements. They're putting out social media posts. They did a whole video on Instagram about how they were cutting ties with Mike Bickle. Just a lot he started IHOP, that right? they're putting out. Yeah, he's the guy that's accredited with starting IHOP or like founding the IHOP church or IHOP prayer room. Movement. Movement. Yeah. It was kind of a movement. I went to several of their conferences as well in Kansas City. The wow. one, the one things. I remember the one things were big. And then the whole upper room movement came off of them basically – and uh, there were a lot of like... I thought that came out of Texas. It I did, wrong, but though. it was the same idea. Okay. Yeah. And they were later. They were later on. They they kind of started as like an offshoot, not like directly, but trying to do the same thing, right? Like a 24-hour prayer room. So basically, Mike Bickle has now been cut from IHOP, which he founded because of allegations, which we don't really know much about <laughs> other yeah. than that they're inappropriate. Yeah, they said it was, you know, a pattern of alleged sexual misconduct. And he he did admit that there were maybe some inappropriate things he said once, but he won't say that there was actually any misconduct. He won't he won't, you know, fess up so to speak to anything like that. So you said alleged pattern. Alleged pattern so is what they said. Even with all of these situations yeah. may or may not being true. The fact that so many right. of them, so many of them, the same kind came forward, they decided to let him go. Yeah. Like that many, enough for them to feel justified cutting ties with him. And I don't know, maybe it's like just the media coverage on this, but it could be just due to the seriousness of what actually happened. Yeah. There, there's not a lot of like details on it, like specifics, but they will like open up and drop a big statement every now and then. Huh. So this, according to the Kansas City Star, it says 
the IHOP, blah, 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 is, quote, immediately, formally, and permanently separating from founder Mike Bickle, saying it has confirmed a level of inappropriate behavior involving the well-known charismatic leader. Mm-hmm. Here's so his uh, vague, Here's but. his statement. Bickle says, this is um, in a Christianity Today article. With a very heavy heart, I want to express how deeply grieved I am that my past sins have led to so much pain, confusion, and division in the body of Christ in this hour. <laughs> it's, it's just a weird way to say it. Bickle <laughs> said in an online statement, I sadly admit that 20 plus years ago, I sinned by engaging in inappropriate behavior. My moral failures were real. What is inappropriate behavior? Yeah, it's all really like abstract. Because that could be language. anything from like touching a little kid to just flirting with someone well, who's not married to. That's the weird part about all of it. Like we don't know what's going on really. I mean, 20 years ago? Mm-hmm. Two? He'd, he'd be arrested if it were something illegal like that. If though. it was something like that. It was probably just, you know, with another woman. But was it just flirting? Was right. it sending was he... pictures or texts? Was it Somebody... making out? Was it? I read some weird comment it, I, I, this is like totally unverified but i remember watching a video i read a comment on it it was some dude that was like a part of the movement somebody's comment on there was saying like that he was fairly like pressuring in his attitude towards students back in the day pressuring how in like a spiritual way um mm-hmm. it kind of like i'm i'm wondering if there was more of like a spiritual abuse piece to this too i don't know for sure this is all hypothetical it was in a comment i read on youtube so i don't know how like valid that comment was or any of that but it's just it's really interesting could i maybe slightly derail oh, what yeah. do you classify as spiritual abuse well I, in this scenario i would say like using the the kind of charismatic faith uh, aspect of the movement and when like I, you as the leader okay. kind of like coming on to maybe a younger, more, what's the word I'm looking for? A maybe more influenced woman who would see your power position of power as like something to maybe be so, a part so of. So I'm hearing know. a power differential, right? but I'm not hearing what the abuse is. Yeah. I would imagine like the abuse being him using that power to gain sexual yeah i see it's anytime usually it's anytime you use your quote-unquote spiritual authority like if you're in a position of spiritual authority like a a pastor teacher specifically in that context or something and then you misuse that power so i'm i'm reading another report now Hmm. um the roy's report julie roy's she always comes really heavy against people so i read what she says with a grain of salt yeah that's as as with a lot of this i mean again it's kind of a a heavy heavy topic so she said she interviewed one woman jane doe says that mike bickle used prophecy to sexually abuse her and apparently bickle told this woman hey i keep having dreams that my wife is going to die and that you and I are going to get married and we're both going to be the leaders of the church. And apparently he was drunk many of the times he would say things like this to her. Mm. And this is from 96 to 99. Gosh. Wow. And he said, my wife is going to die. We're going to get married. He said that to me at least 100 times, Doe said. And then they had sex many times because he like pressured her into it and used his spiritual authority or position. Right. That make thank you. That, so that, that clarifies be, it. That makes that sense. So he's using piece. his right. Mm-hmm. So it's like that spiritual direction of mm-hmm. yeah. It's like a power. Woof. It's like the power dynamic, right? He's got the spiritual authority. 
Well, and She's and knowledge too. To it's it's it's, yeah. a, it's a wisdom abuse too. It's like, hey, like mm-hmm. let me push you in this direction to manipulate you here. Yeah. Oh, that man, that is. And I think the reason that spiritual well, abuse is so toxic, aside from the obvious ones, any kind of abuse is bad and destructive and harmful. But with spiritual abuse specifically, if you use that type of authority to, for example, in this case, pressure a younger girl into having sex with you, then that's how she, at least to some degree, in the trauma that's that's imposed in that action in that interaction, reflects how she views God. Mm-hmm. Like if she actually saw you as a spiritual authority, as a pastor or whatever, and she's like, okay, this is how the representatives of God on earth act, then that means that this must be kind of how God is mm-hmm. to some to some degree. And yeah. I think that's why spiritual abuse is so bad. And this is like I wouldn't be surprised if many people who were spiritually abused or they had a pastor or a priest who did inappropriate things to them never want anything to do with the church again because to them that is what God is like. So here's mm-hmm. a mental health link for you. So when a parent is the abuser of a child, there's often a lot of attachment issues that develop from that. So your relationships that you then develop with other people, whether it be it a friend or a romantic relationship or even a business relationship, all of those relationships are now tainted because of that abusive relationship that you had with your caregiver or your parent. Mm-hmm. And I imagine what the fallout would be from a spiritual perspective to where you believe, because this is God is not abusing that person. It is a spiritual leader abusing the power that he has to manipulate that other person, right? But Mm -hmm. the individual, the abused individual, is now looking at God as their abuser. Right, right. So I wonder what, I mean, that has to be, yes, all of those traumatic, anytime abuse is involved, mental, physical, emotional, especially Mm -hmm. spiritual, from what you do, all of that is super destructive. And I mean, it, it creates so many psychopathies. And now you talk about the spiritual aspect. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. how that would just taint your whole life mm-hmm. and totally skew all of your worldview. Right. It's like all of the usual terrible effects of trauma plus a spiritual aspect added yeah. to it. Which is just that much more intensified. Mm-hmm. If like the spiritual part of your life is like the biggest part of your life, right? Especially as a, an impressionable young person. And I think she was a student. I think the idea was yeah. this was a student at the time. So like – student leader teacher like the guy that's basically running this thing that you're looking up to you're basically like put in this position where you know all of your concepts for like leadership and god and guidance and everything are like completely destroyed it, it, i don't know i just can't even imagine what that would be like yeah. this, this reminds me a lot please tell me if i need to like just can it here so we can move on but this reminds me a lot about like people that are survivors or movers on from cults, spiritual Mm. cults that move on. Yeah. You know, and then they make it out of the cult and then what it's like life after the cult. And usually those people, whether they come back to the faith or whether they don't after they're removed from the cult, just total destruction. Yeah. And I mean, those are a prime example of spiritual manipulation because normally, or I should say in a lot of cults, there's, you know, coercion, like you usually have like the one leader of the cult who sleeps with all the women and all sorts of messed up stuff. Yeah. And if you leave, you're no one's going to love you and everyone's going to hate you. And they find ways to manipulate you into staying. Yeah. Like, oh, your family's a part of this. Oh, right. your children are the guy's children. Think of the community you know, you're involved in. The community. In. Yeah. I mean, it's your whole world, yeah. right? When you leave it, it's everything. I was, I was listening to podcasts about them, FLDS on this type of stuff. It's just so interesting. No, but if you or anybody listening has ever experienced like 
a spiritual abuse like that. Seriously, like evaluate the situations, go to somebody you could trust, maybe counseling. It's just terrible. I, I just I, I just can't believe that people like have to go through that. Yeah. It's it's so disgusting. And just like the heart of Jesus is so much different than whatever it is you experienced, if yeah. that is your story. Because and I think that it's like Jesus, the beautiful thing that I have come to learn about Jesus is that he's okay with you being angry at him and he can mm-hmm. handle you hating him because of what you experienced, maybe mm-hmm. at the hands of a church person or church leader. So he's, he comes to us gently and lowly. And I started reading that book, by the way. Oh, did you? Um, Ooh, good title. Uh, gentle and lowly. Yeah. And he doesn't come to us fragile like you won't hurt his feelings if you're like, man, I'm really angry at you right now, God. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> he's gentle and lowly, but he's not fragile. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's – yeah. He, and and I will also add yeah. in a moment of brutal honesty and confession that I'm a church leader and this terrifies me because I have a past. Like I've been called out on, on it before and like I have never done anything illegal. I've never – I'll just say that. I've never done anything illegal. Never coerced people with a spiritual authority. (laughs) No, I haven't done that. I've never coerced anybody. But, you know, I I have a a checkered past. And there's a whole lot of things that I wish I could take back. And I I am trying to be as open as I can about my past now so that it doesn't come back to bite me like this in the future. Hmm. And I have hurt women's feelings. And I have, not intentionally, but more like gone too far, done things I shouldn't have messed around with other people's hearts. And like, I feel terrible about those things. And I, I'd yeah. rather be open about them now than act like I'm a, a perfect person and then have them come back and bite me later in the future. That terrifies me. Mm-hmm. We naturally hold leaders to a higher standard. Mm-hmm. And often we become disillusioned or very cynical when we find that those leaders do have a checkered past because they're, quote, supposed to be better, which is why we follow. Yeah. But the reality I, of the world, exactly, you just shared it. Like it's, mm. I mean, we all have things, people, places that we wish that we could take back, you know, things that we've done to other people. Like, I mean, come on, how many of you have gone to bed and you, you know, I mean, it's it's almost like the embarrassment reel plays oh, yeah. back or the shame reel plays back when you go to bed or like kind of like in moments, like when you're alone and you're not distracted by your phone or I don't know, listening to an attractive Christian podcast. <laughs> just anything. Yeah. Just anything. Like, I just think about that. And I think that people, especially when they find someone who they are coming to trust or that is a positive motion in their life, and then they find out, oh, no, this person is also sinful, which mm-hmm. is, by the way, we're all sinful. But the fact that it becomes a reality to them. Yeah. Hmm. I think two things that differ, at least in, in my case, too. I want to be explicit that I haven't done anything illegal, <laughs> like no one <laughs> underage, no coercion, nothing like that. And I also think it's important. As Christians and Christian leaders, I want to try to be better so that it's like, yeah, I, I had a past, but it's not my present anymore. And I sometimes my past still is my present. <laughs> you know, it's an mm-hmm. ongoing struggle. But I want to reach a place, of course, where it's like, yeah, I haven't I haven't acted out in five years. I would love to be able to say that those words. But uh yeah, someday. And that's kind of just the struggle of uh, being a follower of Christ, right? And and at least with our perspective on the world. We can acknowledge that people are sinful. We can acknowledge that leaders are sinful, right? That's not to say that at times we still kind of apply maybe that, I don't want to say God complex to to leadership, but 
what what would a better maybe term some be? people like, do see them that way yeah i mean there are leaders out there i mean that are running such massive massively scaled church bodies if i can say that <laughs> like the biggest leader in america is Craig Rochelle. anyway yeah it's it's you know, kind of that God complex, the second somebody in that position falls or runs into a moment of vulnerability, and I'm sure for them as well, right? Like this doesn't excuse anything that Bickle's done or that any church leader that's manipulated people has done. But what we do is we attribute more power to them than to the body of Christ, to Christ, right? Because again, as you mentioned, his heart is not to have us worship some leader and and get hurt by it. His heart is to you know, see sinners come to him and get sanctified. And even the leadership is a part of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's an interesting process that we, that we have to acknowledge sin inside of and also expect and hold high standards at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I'd say, I'd also add that Jesus's heart is to heal us Yeah, for us to give our burdens to him. Which and and it's it's could be the same thing. Like, well, I don't trust Jesus with my burdens because I've been hurt in the past mm-hmm. with other people who I trusted. So when you were talking about, you know, Jesus can handle your hate. Jesus can handle your anger toward Him. I always think about as I work with kids. I, I did an internship uh, in a elementary middle school. It was a K through eight school. When a you know second grader who is what? How old is second grader? Seven. Let's do the math. Yeah, sure. Seven, six, seven, something like that. When they come up to you and they go, oh, I don't want to give you my chair. It's so heavy. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. mister, can you can you please like move the table? I can't move the table. But like you're in a, you're a full fledged adult. Like you, you can do that. <laughs> but even when like when, when you said that of like, you know, Jesus can handle your hate as however old we are, you know, mid 20s, early 30s, an adult who is emotionally mature. Mm-hmm. When a five-year-old tells you, I hate you, and in a moment of like an emotional outburst, you don't take that super personally because mm-hmm. you know that they're working through it. Yeah. And what is it? Something that I read the other day was like when a child comes to a moment where they like they come to a moment where they cannot get past it. You know, they they can't get their toy to do whatever they want or they cannot make someone else see their point of view. They become super frustrated and so they begin to cry. Crying is a natural catharsis, right? It's how we kind of calm ourselves. But in, in the thing that I read, when children, like when they start crying out of frustration like that, it brings them to this point of change. So after they cry, they're in a more objective space to where they can you learn the skills to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. It puts them in a space where they're more able to learn and execute those lessons to move beyond the problem. Hmm. Yeah, good. it's it's that it's that growth piece. It's a really right? good metaphor. Yeah, no, it really is. So they cry to and, you and they say, "Oh, I hate you." It's like, okay, okay, I can totally take that. Let's have you cry. I'm going to be your safe spot for you hmm. and be super uh, stable, so you can work through that. And then they'll eventually come back to you and be like, "Oh, yeah, like." We're all cool now. And you go, yeah. I, I know, I know, kiddo, I know. And that's the way that Jesus views us and God mm. views us. It's like, you can come at any point. Like, mm. I can take whatever you got. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, I've been right there before, like standing on the one end. And I think, you know, you've you've kind of experienced this too. We talked about this recently where like an institution or the church kind of burns you, right? And you see those leaders and you look back through those, you know, conversations or moments and this happened to me like, you know, back in, back in high school, college, you know, just feeling like, man, these guys suck, right? Like, how is this, how is this the church? How is this the authority? And you, you, 
I think that you have to almost hash it out with Christ. Like you have to just bring it to him. And over time you realize, oh, you know, like that's not Christ. You read scripture and you're like, that's not Christ. You actually start to like grow from that and you start seeing that as, okay, maybe this is just a symptom and a problem of a much greater issue going on in the church broad. Let's take it one step back for a moment. That's a pretty tough point too. Mm. When you go to a church and you realize that it's not all, you know, I mean, they're they're just treating you terribly and you're on your own realizing that. You're on your own working through that because any other spiritual leader that you would have gone to as a mentor or as a help, you deem them as untrustworthy. You deem them as manipulative. So you don't go to them. So now you're all on your own, which is the whole Mm. reason why that you went to the church in the first place to get community and to get plugged in and to have a mentor like that to guide you through that. How did you get through that on your own? Me. Yeah, dude, honestly, it was tough. And I and I probably did it the bad way. This is to say, like, probably don't do it the way that I did it to anybody listening. <laughs> so maybe we follow that up with what you would have done. And um, the way I probably the way I actually went about it was more so in line with, you know, obviously, a lot of it happened when I was in high school, just kind of seeing these like weird manipulative practices in a lot of charismatic circles, you know, as a part of at the time. And as I got into college, I was still somewhat in it, but seeing the problems more so develop. So it was in a period where I was shifting towards in a more independent place. And I kind of went the extreme route of like, you know, F this, F these guys, F it all. Like (laughs) Ethan's heard me say it. Total disconnect, total cutoff. (laughs) Yeah, total cutoff. And in a way too, it also sent me down like this path of just cutting off the vulnerability piece, which I was always very passionate about because all of a sudden the people in these communities that you felt like you could trust and you could bring your burdens to and they could bear them with you, right, are people you can't do that anymore with. And so it's taken me a long time to slowly like build back up to that point. And it's actually been really nice to be friends with Ethan because of this. Like he, you're kind of on this train of vulnerability and this and that. And so he's he's pushed me at times to to recognize that, but maybe not knowingly. But <laughs> no, I never knowingly have helped anybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like I think just naturally, like you want vulnerability and you want people to be open around you and honest with like what's going on and stuff. So oh. I think that it's like that kind of dynamic. Oh, thanks, um, man. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I think the way that you should probably go about this, <laughs> that's to say, that's how I went about it. And it's like been a lingering problem for years for me. But the way you probably should go about that is, you know, seeking people that you can try and communicate that to. And, how would you have done that? Because again, you were yeah. in that position, right? You had a church or a community that you were a part of that you deemed no longer trustworthy. Yeah. So what would now going back, what would you have done differently? I think that looking back at it, I think there were people that would have been there to help, right? That would have been there to hear me out. That wouldn't have been as dangerous as I thought. And so actually going to those people, and this is where that honesty piece comes in because I don't, I, I think when that started happening, I started closing off, building up those walls where you're like, oh, I don't know if I should share that much or, and it's not that you should always overshare, or like spill everything, but they, uh, there were people that I knew and I actually trusted in the midst of all that that I still kind of closed off from. And so I think that the best way I could have gone about it is, while not just spewing everywhere and being like, oh, yeah, here's everything going on, slowly, you know, having those conversations and right. 
you know, being able to take some of the hard feedback because I didn't know everything. I was just kind of coming to these realizations slowly. Mm-hmm. And then the other piece was just, I, I would say, just like sticking with it. You know, I, I think there were times where I just totally shut off and wanted to tune out and spend a period of time just like not engaged with right. communities and churches. And That's our you know, natural reactive phase, right? Yeah. When something harms us, when you touch a hot burner, what you jerk your hand back as fast as yeah. you can. You, so you emotionally do that too. So you totally draw back. The first part of your answer, so even though you were experiencing distrust within the church, you identify that there were some people that you probably could have talked to. People that are, okay, like, you know, the, <laughs> the city's <laughs> crumbling, but hey, like there are still some solid pillars in there somewhere. Right. Still seeking out those people despite your lack of trust, despite your cynicism, despite your hurt, your pain. And this isn't just emotional pain, but this is also like spiritual pain too that we're talking about. It kind of mixes, right? Yeah. It's definitely an insidious concoction there. Yeah. (laughs) For sure. An insidious concoction, <laughs> deadly, <laughs> lethal to some. <laughs> we try to do SAT word of the day at the school where we come from. So <laughs> that's aw- <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's just it. it. It just gets so overwhelming, you know. You know, I I think you you do touch on a good point because in communities, yes, like no community is perfect. Like I love the church that I go to in Denver Park Church. By the way, I love <laughs> my church community. I love where they're at. We, I mean, people are naturally very afraid of being vulnerable, naturally, because we don't want to, yes, you Mm. are right, oversharing, definitely a worry. We don't want everyone to overexpose ourselves, but secretly, deep down, we do. We do want someone else to know because we don't want to be alone. Mm -hmm. So we have to balance that loneliness with shame of then sharing our whatever it is that's, Mm. that's on our heart. But there are always people that do want to care and help and walk with you. And I think mm-hmm. the big thing is, hey, like, they may not fix. Some people aren't looking for fixes. Sometimes people are just looking for, I just want you to be with me in this moment mm-hmm. and know that they can be stable as as you walk through that that moment of doubt or cynicism or, or distrust or hurt. I mean, think about all the times where, you know, you were kind of hurt by someone and you have to repair that relationship, mm-hmm. right? Kind of restore that relationship instead of just abandoning it. And I think it's way easier to abandon a leader and to peg them and villainize them when they hurt you. Oh, yeah. just trying to restore that. Because well, you have a, a, a point of contact to put the blame on. You're like, oh, well, that's the problem. That person. Yeah. That leader. Yeah, yeah. Not taking that, you know. Or you, you become an anti-institutional type. Like, <laughs> oh, I'll burn the institution out. Institutions are evil. Let's just hike around nature. That's all I, I need thought to you were going to say hike burn around naked. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Just burn natural. it down and hike naked. I go to um. the Church of the Trees in Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> so many people do. Is that that weed shop up there? I'm just kidding. Which one? Um, hey, yeah. oh, thank that you one for weed shop in Boulder. <laughs> that, that one weed shop, you know, on that one corner. Well, that was the joke, the Church of the Trees or something. <laughs> well, what was that? Church of the, oh my gosh. Anyway, there's, a, there's a weed church in Denver. Yeah, yeah. We, were, yeah. we were just it's on Broadway. Uh, yeah, maybe don't go there. Um, <laughs> hey, for a moment, I just want to pause. Thanks for sharing. No, thank really you, appreciate bro. it. Yeah, I love, the, I love the banter. I love how Dave comes on as a guest and thanks us for sharing. Thank you so much for sharing. That. No, it, I think that that's uh, totally valid. He's been uh, this is why Dave's pressing the, the hard the hard questions. Oh, that's so kind. All right, kind well, that was a long. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're just putting meat in all the sections tonight. So I have a plan for our actual meat section, and I'll tell you what it is. 
right now. Meat, meat. So I have a a mini meat section and then a fun meat section. This and is I, so fun. As we were going through, um, mm. as we were going through the first two sections, I was like, we should do something lighter. So I have a quick quote from Vernon Grounds, the founder of Denver Seminary. Mm. And then Dave and I have a fun story to tell. Have, you heard, have you heard the butter story yet? Tucker? Yeah, I've heard it like you have? 10 times. No, you haven't. When Every have you time the... you preface this, you always say that. Have I've you never heard said the butter it on the podcast. Yet? Well, not on the podcast, but you've told it to me like 10 times outside no. of the podcast. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't think I have. Dave found butter. No. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I'm not going to spoil the story, but I will say that Dave found some butter. And <laughs> that's it. And that's it. That's it. That's the story. Um, so my so the quote, since this is the last episode of 2023. Oh, see you guys next year, by the way. Yeah. Uh, thanks for listening all year, everybody. And we will. I love that joke. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so moving into the new year, I think it's a really good idea to have a framework for what you're going to do in the next year. You can call it a resolution. I don't like that. I think you're. I mean, maybe for lack of a better word, we'll just say, yeah, sure, whatever. Vernon Grounds' quote was, the ruts of routine become the grooves of grace. Ooh. The ruts of routine love become that. the grooves of grace. Love that so much. Why do you love it? Well, one, it's short. It's memorable. <laughs> but also, I mean, humans thrive in routine. Hmm. Like, it's it's one of the main structures of humanity. Like, we thrive off of routine in education in building i mean it's it's just there it's built in like Mm. there are people that i mean they will claim oh no like spontaneity is like my whole life but i mean routine is the opposite of chaos like it's it's the epitome of order right the psyche loves order and there could be some variation there of course i mean there's do that so long there's always the spice of life and, and you need variety but i mean you wake up i mean the body functions just a quick aside the body functions best when you wake up at a consistent time every day when you go to bed at a consistent time every night you have a bedtime routine that gets the brain into a space to sleep when you wake up you have different routines the body functions best off of routines now as far as like living your life yes you need variety absolutely you need to eat a variety of foods you can't just live your life off of steak and potatoes you're missing a lot of key nutrients mm. well i bet there's someone out there who's going to argue me that steak is a superfood in the lion diet and blah 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 you get my point anyway they thrive off of that so what was that the ruts of routine provide what become was the, the root become the grooves of grace become the grooves of grace it just is just another way that grace comes into our life so easy and then we can adapt mm-hmm. to it because how hard is it? I feel like that there's, and I'm definitely one of those people. So maybe I'm just kind of speaking to those people out there that are like me, but it's really hard for me to accept grace from others and especially from God. And from yourself, which I think accepting grace from God and from yourself are go hand in hand. They're very similar. Yeah, when I think about it, like Dave talked about it like in a pragmatic sense, like you wake up, your body functions well, your life Mm. probably will function better if you have routine. And the way the context Vernon Grounds meant it is like the spiritual side, which is like I think that we can often have this mentality that if I go to this crazy conference, I'm going to meet God. If I Mm. go, I I don't know, on some pilgrimage, if I – 
go to this one really big worship show and have this one pastor pray over me, then I'll really connect with God. And The big thing, the big event. Right. And what Vernon Grounds is saying is actually the best way to receive grace is the daily, mundane, open up your Bible, mm. read a couple verses or a chapter. And it's not glamorous and it's not flashy and it's not whatever, but you establish those ruts and if you think about it like a wagon on a dirt road, if it travels the same dirt road every single day, day in, day out, it deepens those ruts so that when rain comes, or in this metaphor, grace, it rushes right down those ruts. You know, you're making those grooves mm. so that grace can just whoop, come right in. Because yeah. if you depend on the big flashy experiences like this conference or this whatever, that's where I'm going to meet God. It's like, not really. Like, sure, Maybe. You never want to say never, but also like the people who have the closest walk <laughs> with Jesus are the ones who do who are doing it every day, day in, day out, open the Bible, have some alone time with God, pray. Mm. You know, it's not flashy. I like that answer yeah. a lot better than my answer. You had a I good do. I think I oh, no, think no, you had a good no, approach no, no. to it's, it. Yeah, no, I love that even more. And plus, by the way, there's tons of brain science that back up what you just said too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the daily routine. Ugh. Yeah, and like habits. I like, like it, it even. It's a big more. brain science guy. Yeah, if you're hab- <laughs> well, there are many more podcasts that have that that are way more qualified than me to talk about that. So I'll leave it to them. But well, I mean, I you think- know it at least. That's cool. Go ahead. I, well, I was going to say to that. I mean, I think that we develop this idea, especially in like modern Christian culture, that everything around your faith has to be big and flashy and crazy, and mm. you have to have the smoke machines because that's what gifts people in the mood, and you got to have the crazy, you know, winter camp because that's what gets the students to respond, you know. The altar calls. And granted, you know, yeah, students do respond in those environments, but it's not for a lack of you being there day in and day out every single week teaching them the same thing, right, in terms of like a youth group setting. And if we go back to Scripture, I think that the easiest way, because we were just reading the the Christmas story in Luke, and you've got Jesus born, you've got Jesus when he's 12, and then like nothing until, right, for Christ until he's baptized, right, until he starts his ministry. Mm-hmm. So you've got all of this time. There's 30 years in here where like Jesus isn't doing anything that we know of. It's just normal well, he life. he was doing something. Yeah, exactly. But, <laughs> he wasn't just in a cave meditating. <laughs> he's just sitting there waiting. <laughs> but uh, no, my point isn't that he's doing nothing. But my point is he's not doing the, you know, four Gospels accounts of Jesus walking around, yeah. healing people, going crazy, preaching in the synagogues, preaching on the streets, people getting saved, people getting healed. It's like just normal life. Nothing's happening. He's just doing regular life. Yeah, And I think that that's something I had a professor put it a nice way, like regular, regular life. There's like this part in, in scripture that we ignore because it's not like written in, but it's just this accepted like it's regular life. I don't know. And I think that it was that's, like preparing in a sense, yeah, but it wasn't flashy or glamorous. It's not flashy. It's not glamorous. The stuff that is is in scripture. But yeah, again, why would why would we read all of that? You know, <laughs> I mean, that's that's true of anybody. For example, you've never read an author who started writing their first book when they were one. You no. know, they prepare, they study, they learn. And then the what you reap from their books, if it's like a nonfiction, let's say Atomic Habits, right? Best-selling book. He didn't just come out the womb with that. He had years of his life to prepare. And then he put Atomic, Atomic Habits, helped a ton of people with that. And we reap the benefit of his prep time, bef- which is before he wrote that book. And I'd say the same is true of Jesus with his mm-hmm. ministry, Right. He prepared, he he had that intimate relationship with his father, with God the Father, I mean, 
living life, experiencing life as a human, preparing for his three years of ministry, and then, you know, began his ministry. Well, there's a routine when the time there, was right? right? Yeah. He was he was working. He's he's building things. He's you know just waking up on time, going to bed on time, eating food, different types of food. Maybe you have goat one week and lamb the next. I don't know. <laughs> so my point was – so my point in, in bringing this all up as a New Year's resolution framework to keep in mind is simply that don't go into this new year and say, I'm going to get so close to God and have this crazy, profound experience with him. Like I hope you do. But at the same time, maybe just say, I'm just going to read a chapter of the Bible a day if you don't do that already. Or I'm just going to wake up and – Say a few things to God I'm grateful for today. You know, like just create those simple, small habits, which will ultimately get you pointed in the right direction in the long run. Mm -hmm. You're exactly right. I think that at this time of year, everyone's always motivated to change. We're always motivated to change. Clean slate theory, all of that. Oh, yeah. But motivation is an emotion. You feel motivated, right? You don't feel disciplined. You are disciplined. And how do we get disciplined? By doing those small habits every day. And, you know, it's not about, I mean, sure, like reading a chapter of Bible a day. Hey, awesome. Take it even farther. What about, you know, five minutes? Where can you find five minutes? Where can you find two minutes? Where can you find one minute? Start in the car. Where where can you put that in, right? Make it as easy as possible. Yeah. Mm. I was listening to an Andrew Huberman podcast. He's a neuroscientist, dude. Really? If, I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I figure you would know. Not everybody knows. But he was talking about motivation as, again, a feeling. It's not something that you just have come upon you. You actually have to do something to be motivated for it. Like if you're going to be consistent in the gym or something, like you actually have to go to the gym to be motivated to go to the gym. And experience success. Success yeah. always begets motivation. So the more successes you experience, the more motivated you'll feel. And then, again, you get so far along the path. Mm. I guess Huberman would say, you know, you have many dopaminergic responses right. all the way <laughs> oh through. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow. I feel so official right now. This is, this is like that. a dream come true. <laughs> Just fanboying right now. That eventually it builds into discipline. Mm. Like, it, yeah. it's already built in. It's the little tasks. It's like, I completed that task. I completed that task. Yes. I completed and that, that task. And yeah. that's why you make them small enough because even though it's it's so small, I mean, Jordan Peterson would say, there's another one. Um, <laughs> Jordan Peterson would say, you know, make them big enough to, you know, it's not that an infant can do it. Like, it's don't, not like standing don't infantilize up, like. <laughs> yourself, but make it big enough to where it's like it's easy enough for you to do it, but also enough to make it feel like you're actually doing something. And make your bed in the morning. And then right? build up from there. I'm Simple. also a running coach. I tell all my runners at the time, it's like, we're not going for a 15 mile long run your first time. We're building 10 minutes. We're just doing. <laughs> Just do 10 minutes to start. Like people just take too much too quick. And that's that's why people burn out in February. Anyway. So anyway, yeah. So I'm saying apply that that mentality to your spiritual life as well. Whether you want to get fit, get in shape, eat better. I definitely need to eat better. Cook mm. more. Read more. Apply the same thing to your spiritual be life better. as well. Yeah. Just be better. <laughs> <laughs> That's a strange one. Sorry. That's, that's, I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to think about so, that. So, uh, butter story. Let's hear it, boys. Oh, okay. Boy. Butter boys. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> In you... the studio with the butter bros. <laughs> <laughs> if you've made it this far into the podcast, 
brace yourself. <laughs> this is <laughs> a pretty. <laughs> this one's probably the meatiest one yet, and now all the fun's at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we actually had a loaded podcast. It was loaded. Dude. We were yeah. like, oh, let's go quick through this one tonight. <laughs> yeah, because we're recording this is the day after Christmas. We're, uh, we're like, oh, we're all pretty wiped, and then we're like, oh, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> it's <laughs> so stuff. fun, actually. Yeah. Anyways, let's get into it. So, I'll start off since I was the only one um, conscious for this. So, uh, so in 2014, January, it was actually about the same Around time this of year. time, yeah. Mm-hmm. So exactly nine years ago. Holy cow. Oh nine, almost wow. exactly nine years ago. Such a baby. January 2014, we were on Christmas break from college. We we're both in college at the time. And I'm like, Dave, let's drive to California tomorrow. <laughs> so he's like, and I, having nothing better to do, being on break in college and as a runner, was like, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so, uh, so we had two other friends with us. The four of us drive across the country, eighteen hours, all the way to California. The next day, we drive a, the, all day, all night, get there, and just for for simplicity's sake, we met this girl there on Seal Beach in California. Right. So we meet her. She's super nice. She lets us stay with her. So the four of us meet her. She's not planning to have us. She's And she's like, yeah, you guys can uh, just stay at my place, whatever. So we're staying at her place. And over the next two or three days, we kind of get a little routine. It's like, I'm the one who sleeps in. The girl we were staying with was a cross-country runner. She'd go out for her run with her team. Dave is a crazy runner. Every morning, he wakes up super early and goes out for his run. And the other two people we were with were also morning people. And they wake up and go out and explore California on their own. So most – the first two or three mornings, I wake up. I'm by myself in this stranger's apartment, <laughs> right? So I specifically remember I was reading the book of Romans. I think it was the third morning we were there, right? Yes. Something like that. And we're reading the book of Romans. I'm reading the book of Romans. And suddenly the door to the apartment bursts open and it's Dave. And he's hunched over and he looks like a zombie and his eyes are wide open and he just looks at me and he goes, I'm about to pass out. And I was like, okay. I was like, drink some water. And he like lumbers toward the kitchen. He turns over his shoulder and he says, no, food first, sustenance. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, whatever. Dave's being dramatic, whatever. <laughs> but he's literally lumbering around. He grabs a loaf of bread and some peanut butter, slaps some peanut butter on the bread and falls to the floor of the kitchen. And I'm like, okay, that's a little weird. He's lying on his side in the kitchen, like munching on his bread, and he's like shivering, and he's like taking little mousy bites out of his <laughs> peanut mousy? butter sandwich. He's like... <laughs> <laughs> I have heard this story so many times. That's the uh, first time you've used mousy bites. Mousy bites. But it's also practically perfect from what I've heard. So. Yeah, and I have a, I have pictures on my phone. In one of the pictures, Dave is lying on this girl's floor, and I had covered him up with a blanket because he was shivering so hard. <laughs> he's lying there holding the sandwich like this, and he's all curled up in his fetal position on his side, <laughs> munching on his sandwich. And I pour him a glass of water, and he can, like, barely lift it to his lips because he's, like, shivering, and what he's, like, heck? weak, and he, like, can barely sip the water. <laughs> and I'm like, something's not right now. Like, I mean, I, qu- I realized that pretty quickly after seeing Dave like that. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and then as he's munching 
you know, half his sandwich, he starts to just pass out. Like his eyes closed. He's just like going to sleep finally. <laughs> and, you know, Dave was way lighter even then than he is now because he was such a hardcore runner. So I just scoop, scoop him up. Both pounds of him. Move him over <laughs> to the... All two pounds. Dave was like the slim runner and you're like the jacked friend. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just yep. ca- carry him over to the bed. And he's still clutching half of his peanut butter sandwich in his hand. And he's passed now, lying on the bed. And I go to take the sandwich out of his hand. And he goes, put it back. <laughs> <laughs> so I put the sandwich back. And he passes out just like this. Just holding on to the sandwich. Ice cold. Not sh- like not moving a muscle, just like clutching a sandwich, just dead. <laughs> and um, so I texted the girl whose apartment it was, and she's and I was like, "Hey, uh, Dave is actively dying on your pullout couch." Um, FYI, <laughs> and she got her responses. Oh no! I'll bring some orange juice. <laughs> and so quick sugars, get him up and running. Yeah, yeah. I guess she had some idea. What Ethan was going didn't on. think about that. She's yeah. a runner. She, she only, probably had some idea of what was happening. But. If only I had thought of orange juice. But um, <laughs> so so Dave is just out cold, clutching his peanut butter sandwich for an hour. Finally, she comes back, and she comes in the door, and she looks at Dave, and I'm like, "All right, let's wake him up." She has orange juice for him, so. We're like, Dave. And it's important to note right now, the only thing Dave was wearing was his running shoes and his spandex shorts. Oh, I thought you were just going to leave it at shoes. <laughs> just I just, hey, I was in California. I was young. Let's just run That's naked. California, yeah. you know. Was... <laughs> Isn't that what everybody's doing in California? He was trying to experience God. <laughs> Earlier you were talking about hiking naked. No, he was only, he's wearing running shoes and his spandex shorts. Like the tight ones. Yeah. Yeah. They're nothing over them. It's it's classic for a runner to wear. Just FYI. Classic for a runner to wear. Aerodynamic. Something like that. (laughs) He sliced right through that California air. (laughs) 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 All two pounds of (laughs) meat. All his pounds. Like a knife through warm butter. (laughs) Speaking of. (laughs) So so the the girl comes back. I'm like, Dave, wake up. And he, he goes to sit up. And we hand him the orange juice. He's sipping the orange juice, right? And now he's back to normal. He's not crazy-eyed. He's not shivering. He's just normal, sipping his orange juice. And I was like, man, Dave, I was worried about you. You were saying all this crazy stuff. He's like, I was. And I was like, yeah, do you not remember this? And he's like, I don't (laughs) remember anything. (laughs) I forget exactly what we said, but you were like, I'm pretty sure I I woke up, and one of the first things I said was, is there a sandwich in my hand? Oh, yeah. I forgot that part. <laughs> the first thing you said is, is there a sandwich in my hand? And I just was laughing really hard because I was like, You're yeah. Like, what? <laughs> you, you were the one who didn't want to let it go. <laughs> Put and it so, back. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's how, we were, that's how we realized he didn't remember anything. That he, <laughs> he didn't remember the sandwich. He didn't remember the peanut butter. He didn't remember sustenance. sustenance. <laughs> he, and he didn't remember how he got back to the apartment, which yeah. is interesting. So, I mean – I woke up that morning and me being and you know young and in shape and in college running NCAA is like, you know what? I'm here at sea level. When you train at altitude, there's only so much you can do. Like you can't go like ridiculously hard because you're limited by the amount of oxygen in the air. So when you go down to sea level, you can handle a little bit more. So I was like, I'm going to do a massive workout. And so I run like three miles away from the apartment. I found this like 
little bit of road where I could do like repetitions on. And I just went at it for like an hour straight, like just an hour, <laughs> just just running super hard. And then I remember coming back. I have three miles to go from where I went, from where I did my workout to back to the apartment. And so just out and back is six miles. Yeah. And you did a workout out there for about an hour. Yeah. Which like hard nuts. repetitions, like for those of you that are fitness savvy, like mile to 5K pace repetitions. So it's like really like fast paced stuff. You can only do that at sea level because of the oxygen, but I went a little bit overboard and I was very, very tired, very, very spent and exhausted. One would say I even bonked because I didn't take any nutrition. Anyway, I'm coming back in the three miles, coming back from my workout, back to the apartment. I sp- I, I know exactly where I was because I went back like two or three years later and I found the bridge because it's near Seal Beach. <laughs> and I was running over this bridge and I remember my last thought being, I'm not going to make it back. <laughs> and I just blackout. <laughs> I don't That's remember. So I'm like a mile and a half away from the apartment and I just freaking blackout. And you have no idea what happened in that mile no. and a half. So like I don't remember coming in. I don't remember sustenance. I don't remember falling to the floor and I'm surprised that I was able to even make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but I knew that food was important. It was like just I peanut knew, butter. Oh, just a peanut butter? Oh, that's right. <laughs> I knew that food was important because I knew something was wrong. Like I was so deficient in everything. <laughs> like everything. Oh, I don't think you're deficient. Again, nice Christians podcast. <laughs> but so anyway, anyway, like he's sipping his orange juice for five, ten minutes. We're like trying to figure out what oh, my head what was going so on. bad too. I had such a bad headache. I'm sorry. I don't usually say that. I'm drinking. I'm drinking my orange juice. I have such a bad headache. You're laughing. I was dying. Like you just the whole situation was just so funny. But the and best part was just like, yeah, come. he could have died, but I don't care. This <laughs> <laughs> is <just> funny. <laughs> So he finally goes to stand up, only wearing shoes and spandex shorts. And he's like, what? What is this? And he reaches into his spandex shorts and he pulls out two like half melted packets of butter, like from a restaurant, like with the foil wrapping, you know, and he's just staring at them like, where did this come from? And I was on the ground dead. I was laughing so hard. I was like, Dave, why is there butter in your shorts? Why is, why do you have butter in your shorts? When I found those, I thought it was some stupid joke. I was like, Ethan, like, what? <laughs> Did you put these here? And we road tripped out with a couple of girls or someone else in the car. So... We texted them. like, did you guys put this in Dave's shorts? Like, yeah, like, you know? did you put butter in Dave's shorts? <laughs> and, Maybe I ran the whole time with them and didn't even know it. Like, they just snuck it in. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like that would be something you'd notice in the spandex shorts. You know, when you wake up so early to run, I don't know. Like, that's, it's just, that's a fair everything point. Everything is so comfortable. I wonder if you, like, just saw some butter packets and you were, like, sustenance and just, like, grabbed them. So what we think is, like, I mean, again, I have no idea. I don't remember. <laughs> it's it's a, but it's a hypothesis. I, I just we I just imagine being zombie, eyes wide, stat like you know, just shuffling, jogging, shirtless through the streets of Seal Breach, hunched over like a zombie. Yep, and then just walking into a restaurant and being like, "I need sustenance now." <laughs> and they just end you. They're like, packets. "Oh my god, just give the guy a bagel and leave. Like, just get out of here. Go." That's, that's our other theory: is someone hands him like a bagel and the butter. Mm. He ate the bagel. But and then stuff the, the butter, butter in his butter for later. Stuff the butter. I'm you thought it was going to be a longer trip. Something I totally would do. It's like, oh yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this butter to go. <laughs> I'm going to need this in a little while. <laughs> That's amazing. I need the calories. 
yeah, either that or because there's a lot of open patios, you know, on California, Seal Beach. California, yeah. So he's just running by and he's just like, <laughs> there's some innocent diners eating brunch right there. And they, this zombie man just runs up and goes, Hong! <laughs> shoves it in his pants and runs away. <laughs> Wait, dude, I was going to eat that. Too bad. <laughs> <laughs> Try to catch me. <laughs> wait, wait, I need the butter for my toast. <laughs> He's just like, running away. <laughs> eyes, eyes wide open. <laughs> <laughs> but then he forgets about it by the time he makes it to the apartment. By the time he wakes up. <laughs> for those of you that have done an ultra-distance race or a half-Ironman or have bonked during a triathlon, I think you know my pain. You shuffle, you take in anything you can get. You take goose, you take cups. You forget you, about it. You just like, you, you know, steamroll kids to get to that Gatorade cup, man, when you're bonking. So I think they understand. No, it's a real thing, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is. Thank so, you all for listening to the butter story. <laughs> butter boy. It's my favorite story of my entire I life. I just love it brings you so much well, joy. <laughs> I've heard this story so many times from you, but you still laugh. I still laugh. Because we don't know where the butter came from. I wasn't laughing. True. No, I'm just kidding. I was laughing the whole time. <laughs> but we don't know where the butter came from, and that's the moral of it's the story. It's totally like, yeah, it, it's one of those stories where you just have to assume. The moral of the story is take your sustenance or you might bonk. Take your sustenance or you might wake up with butter in your shorts. <laughs> That's the moral of the story. Where, where did this accent come from? Because, you know, morals. The moral of the story is... <laughs> Take your sustenance. Yeah, that's exactly the voice I hear. When, when I, I think, think of, of morals, that. I think of Monty Python accent delivering <laughs> that to me because Monty Python delivers morals super well. That's a fair point. Eat your sustenance. Eat your sustenance. If you don't, you'll wake up with butter in your shorts. I regret everything. <laughs> so, uh, Annie, you can leave that one in. <laughs> I'm so happy I came here. The now. world gets to Just hear, to hear this. that. <laughs> oh my God. I don't know. I've, I've been watching a lot of Monty Python lately. <laughs> Have you actually? Yeah. About the meaning. Have you watched the meaning of life? Yeah, but oh, last night so I funny. watched the philosopher soccer sketch. Oh, what? Where they? It's a whole bunch of philosophers, <laughs> it's, and it's Greeks versus Germans. <laughs> and at the end, the Greeks make a goal, and it's like, um, oh my gosh, the quote is so funny. So, so it's a whole bunch of philosophers, and finally somebody makes a goal. One of the Greeks makes a goal, and the the commentators are like, Hegel is arguing that the reality is merely an a priori adjunct of non-naturalistic ethics. Kant, via the categorical imperative, is holding that the ontologic, that ontologically it, exi- it exists only in, in the imagination, and Marx is claiming it was offsides. <laughs> and they're just like debating this one soccer goal and it's so funny i love monty python anyways they're pretty funny there's they're the funniest there was no humor before monty python no there was humor oh, name I one i don't know yeah i don't see, know anything there was no funny thing he was before. not prepared for that argument <laughs> <laughs> i think also, of one thing that's funny yeah but also some people think the story of jonah is written to be a comedy hmm. which is an interesting theory How? as well because Where? every single sentence in that book is the opposite of what the audience expected to happen. So it's kind of like God teaching through uh, what's called like negatory – no, what's the word? Opposites day. Yeah, basically. <laughs> wow. Through negative 
uh, theology. Hmm. Or negative. Oh my gosh. Negative. Theology, negative imperatives. Huh? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Jordan Peterson would really love to hear that the story of Jonah is a comedy. No. Oh, yeah. He uses whole, Jonah uh, quite a bit. He would do a whole uh, series on that. Yeah. On the Daily Wire. Wow. Sorry. <laughs> this. So this is the second time you mentioned something else, but like really. So I come from a very non-educated biblical point of view. So that just blows my mind. The word is apophatic theology that I was mm. trying to think of. Which oh, is... right. Yeah. That <laughs> one. Mm-hmm. No idea. Never would have guessed that in a hundred years. I don't even know that it was even a word until now. Well, like, it basically means describing God in the negative. God is not sinful. God can you say is that not one more time? Describing God only using negative descriptions, um, meaning like God is not sinful. Like, God negate, is... like, like negations of what? Yeah. Right. Some people think apophatic theology is the only way to describe God. God is not mortal. God is not limited by time. God is not contained in one space. Right? That's interesting because scripture does describe him actively as God is love. <laughs> I don't know. Apophatic. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> this meat section went apophatic, all over the place. <laughs> apophatic, apophatic, apophatic. I'm not joining in this. <laughs> Be a square over there by yourself. Oh, okay. Dude, <laughs> Dave with the roast. So, wait. Dave this, showed this up is with a pretty prime meat. <laughs> I was about to say, what what kind of meat would this meaty section be? Is this a prime rib meaty? A marbled ribeye section? It was marbled mm. to the max. We were all over the place. <laughs> Give yourself an applause. Anyways, what were you going to say, Dave? And then we'll wrap this one. Uh, I do not remember. So you are welcome to wrap this we'll up. Give it I call butcher, that butcher shop wrap. Apophatic memory. He does not remember. <laughs> Dave does not remember anything. <laughs> more, the moral of the story is that Dave does not remember anything. Now sing it. <laughs> no more. No, I'm not even going <laughs> to. Wait, hold on. Pause, pause, pause. Andy, make sure to cut this out. The moral of the story is... (laughs) (laughs) Don't cut that out. Please. You cannot cut that out. No, dude. Please. please. Anyways, this has been a wild episode. Uh, We went really heavy. We went really far and wide and We went funny. We went goofy. Yeah. Heavy to goofy. All over the place. So let's wrap this up. Dave's saying like he just had like a nice <laughs> dinner. <laughs> Technically, we did meat and potatoes, baby. We uh, so, anyways, this is the Attractive Christians podcast. Anything else you guys want to throw on? Very end. Perfect. We uh, will see you models next week. Yeah. So uh, follow us on Attractive Christians on Instagram, Attractive Christians on TikTok, Attractive Christians on YouTube, or Gmail us at attractivechristians at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Oh, yeah. Stay safe out there this weekend. Happy New Year. We'll see you guys next year. Yeah. Thanks again to Dave for being in the studio with us. Tucker for being in the studio with me. Thanks to me for being Ethan. And thanks to Annie and Mark (laughs) for editing and producing and everything. Wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) This whole show revolves around you? (laughs) Uh. And, um, yeah, thanks for listening, you guys. We'll talk to you next year.
Oh, Annie girl, I'd long to see you <laughs> and hear your rolling river. Oh, Annie girl, I long to see you. Way we're bound away across the wide misery. <laughs> <laughs>